It is Father's Day, and it was a good Father's Day for me. We have been blessed, Darlene and I, over the last couple of weeks to have all of our family home at one time or another. A couple of weeks ago, uh, everybody came, back, came before the wedding and spent time together, mainly down at Dad's and Mom's house, swimming at pool and things like that. We went to the zoo one day. Uh, that would have been all but the boys and then all seven of the grandchildren. And then, of course, the rehearsal on Friday a week ago and the wedding on Saturday. And I would like to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Michael Richardson. They just got back from their honeymoon and came over for Father's Day. And I think they really came to see Mary because it's her birthday today. She... It's been a blessing to have her around for these two weeks. She is going back uh, tomorrow, so you can be praying for her as she travels. I think we're talking about like uh, 20-something hours of travel, something like that. We're grateful for the Vacation Bible School. The Vacation Bible School leaders determined that the offering would go to her, and we appreciate very much uh, that, that gift as well. But it's been a fun time as a father over the last couple of weeks. It's exciting to... To be doing a cookout today, I, I, we're having steak and hamburgers and hot dogs. And I asked my dad last night, I said, which one do you want? And he said that he wanted hot dogs. So, <laughs> so we have some hot dogs for him. Did you know that, that I bought T-bone steak and hamburger meat yesterday, and the T-bone steak was less expensive per pound than the hamburger meat? Life is become interesting has it not uh, father's day is i think a really special day because it talks about the influence that fathers have and as we think about our fathers you know our the influence they had on us that might have been positive it might have been negative sometimes fathers have a negative influence sometimes fathers aren't what they should be in fact none of us are totally like we should be but fathers make a big difference in the lives of people I remember one time hearing Josh McDowell speak, and when he spoke, he talked about people going to jail. He said, if, if you have a father that is actively involved in your life and spending time with you, then it's probably a 1% or 2% chance that you'll go to jail. But if you have a father who is absent, either you don't know your father or he's not around or he doesn't spend time with you and so on, it gets up to 40 to 50% chance that you're going to be going to jail. Fathers have a real big influence on their children. And Joshua was a father. Uh, Joshua 24 is what we're looking at today. Joshua chapter 24. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. Of course, Joshua is the one who led the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, but Moses passed away before they went into the promised land. Joshua took over. I think he was leading something like 1.5 million people. He was a busy person. He saw God work in significant ways. And as he was growing old and about to die, he gave a speech to the children of Israel. Let's look at Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse number 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, 
in the old times, and they served other gods. That would have been the Euphrates River. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt. This is God speaking according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Wouldn't that have been interesting to have been able to be there when Moses and and the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry ground? And then the Egyptian followed, and the sea swallowed them up. That was definitely miraculous. There's some that say that miracles don't take place, that actually the Red Sea was shallow, and they just went through the shallow part. What's amazing and miraculous is that the Egyptians all drowned in in that shallow water. Verse number 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Baor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. Probably the most famous were the people of Jericho. And you remember that story. How many times did the children of Israel march around Jericho? Many people say seven. But they did it one a day for six days. The seventh day they walked around seven times. So it was 13 times that they walked around. And the children of the, the, the people in Jericho were probably looking down at them, making fun of them. Who do they think they are? Until after the last time the trumpets blew and they shouted and the wall fell down flat. Again, God worked in a miraculous way. And Joshua was there watching God work. Verse 12. I sent the hornet before you which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites. But not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Basically, we have a history lesson here. And I believe the first point, the first thing we need to do in order to make a difference is to consider what God has done. Think about it for just a minute. Consider what God has done. It's obvious that God worked in a significant way for the children of Israel, for Joshua. He worked miraculously and blessed in a lot of different ways. But has he not blessed in our lives as well? Think about what God has done for you. Think about the family that he's given you, the way that he's provided you for you down through the years. You know, the this, this sanctuary supposedly, I think it seats 750 people in 1984. I think people were skinnier in 1984. I don't think we can get 750 in here now. 
But the reality is that God has provided for us in a lot of ways. Now, sometimes we look around and we think to ourselves, things are just not good. Uh, I, I am not looking forward to, to later on today or tomorrow because, because I have to fill up my Suburban. And my Suburban holds 42 gallons. And my Suburban is almost empty. And the last time I filled up my Suburban, I put 40, $145 worth in. So I'm figuring it's going to be a little bit more than that this time. You got to do what you got to do. But um, when, when we think about our blessings, I haven't lost any meals. I mean, you can look at me and tell that. And you know that I'm eating hot dogs and steak and, and hamburgers. I think the hot dogs and, and hamburger meat is more expensive than the, the steak this time. Nathan's hot dogs. They're, they're expensive, but they're very good. How many of you, God has blessed you? Think about what other blessings that he has given to you. How about salvation? Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we can have everlasting life. We're sinners. We deserve to spend eternity separated from God. But because Jesus died for you and for me, paid the penalty for our sins, we can have everlasting life if we believe. He's blessed us in that way. He's blessed us in so many different ways. And what we need to do is recognize his blessings, to consider what God has done. Now, for, for Joshua, some of it was under the leadership of Moses. Some of it was under his own leadership. And for us, maybe God blessed in days gone by. Maybe God is still blessing. But we need to focus on his blessings to consider what God has done. But verses 14 and following talk about point number two. We also need to choose to serve the Lord. There's a verse in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 24. Samuel, toward the end of his life, spoke to the children of Israel. And he said, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things God has done for you. Well, this is what it says in verse 14 of Joshua 24. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other sides of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served which were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. That is an exhortation that that Joshua gave to the children of Israel. Basically, he was saying, remember what God's done for you, and then fear the Lord, respect him, and serve him in sincerity, in truth. Make sure that you put aside the other gods and that you serve the Lord. Now, in those days, the other gods a lot of times were idols that were made with hands, idols of, of gold, of silver, of stone, and, and wood, and things of that nature. For us, the idols are a lot of times different. Sometimes the idols have to, to do with media, with social media, uh, with, with television, with, with movies, and with so many other things of that nature. And, and it, it's true that sometimes we put those things as a higher priority than our relationship with God. It's easy to do. They're addictive. And we have a tendency to do that. Or it, it could be our job. It could be money. It could be power. It could be our family. It's possible to put our families above our relationship with God. 
And what Joshua was saying was to put aside these, these gods, these things that are, that are idols that, that basically become between us and God and make sure that you are serving the Lord in truth, in sincerity, that you are serving him with all of your heart. So number one, we consider what God has done. Number two, we choose to serve the Lord. Now the children of Israel determined that they were going to do that. Verses 16 through 18, the people answered and said, Far be it from us, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord uh, to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, it seems there that they are listening to Joshua. He was telling them to consider what God had done and choose to serve the Lord. And they were saying, well, God has done great things for us, and we are going to serve the Lord. Uh, they, they were doing that. But the interesting thing is in the next couple of verses, uh, Joshua is a little bit negative. Look at verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Now, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15, it talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. You can take things out of context in the Bible when it says... He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Uh, you need to look at 1 John 1, 9. What does it say there? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He uh, goes on to say in verse 20, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. People said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in, in Shechem. It goes on to say, Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He took a large stone and set it there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Joshua, in his communication to them, basically said, Following the Lord is not easy. The people were saying, we want to follow the Lord. He's done great things for us. And Joshua basically was saying, you need to count the cost. That's point number three, is count the cost. Because serving God is not easy. You know, as, as we think about counting the cost, my mind goes to Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24. Jesus said these words, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In America today, we have something called easy believism. In other words, we, we think, well, all I got to do is believe in Jesus and everything's great. But the reality is that Jesus does not want us just to believe him. He wants us to follow him. And that involves sacrifice. It involves surrender. It involves 
unselfishness. And, and when, when we think about living for Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that it is not easy. I guarantee you this, that if you're looking for easy Christian living, then in all probability you're not making a significant impact for Jesus Christ. If you want things to be easy, if you want it just to be a matter of believing and coming to church on Sunday morning, then in all probability your influence for Jesus Christ is limited. Makes sense, does it not? Because we need to count the cost. Again, Matthew 16, 24. If we're going to come after him, we should deny ourselves, take up his cross, and follow him. I'm reading through the New Testament. Yesterday I read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It talks about Paul and the suffering, the, the trials, the hardships that he went through in order to serve the Lord. The reality is if we are going to make an impact, we're going to have to go through some tough times. If, if any of you have played sports, you know that in order to be good at sports, you have to practice, you have to work hard. Um, when, when I think about two-a-days back when I was in high school playing football, and when I think about football camp when I played my first year of college, I, I, I don't have good memories. Uh, it was hot. I mean, it was really, really hot. And, and, and we were out there, and we were sweating. We were hitting each other. I was sore. I think that's probably why my neck is, is still sore now. It's because of football many, many years ago. Uh, it was not necessarily fun. But it was certainly fun come October, November when we were winning games. And it was, it was fun when we won the state championship that year. Because I guarantee you that we would not have won the state championship that year if we had not gone through two-a-days when, when, when we were uh, practicing first in, in August. The reality is, in order to make a difference, we're going to have to count the cost. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, verses 24 to 27. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And he's talking about the fact that he is seeking to serve the Lord and, and live for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning to read at verse number 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest after I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. If we're serious about living for the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to discipline ourselves. We need to do what it takes to be what God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. That does not mean that we do it through self-effort because without him we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But God wants us to discipline ourselves. He wants us to be serious about living for him. And I guess the question that, that I would choose to ask at this point is this. Is it important for us to influence people for Jesus Christ? If it is, are we willing to count the cost? Are we willing to discipline ourselves to be what God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do? So far we've talked about in order to be influential, considering what God has done, 
choosing to serve the Lord, counting the cost. There's one more. We should commit to influence. Commit to influence. In other words, we should want to make a difference in the lives of people. Joshua certainly did. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He, he, he led his house to serve the Lord. He led the children of Israel to serve the Lord as well. In fact, look at verses 29 to 31. We're back in Joshua chapter 24. Verse 29, it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who knew Joshua and had seen God work. In other words, Joshua made a difference. He made a difference in the lives of all of Israel. They were following God partly because of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, as we think about our children, we need to recognize, number one, we can't force our children to follow God. We can influence them, but we cannot force them to follow God. It's an individual decision. Now, when they're younger, there's some things we can force them to do. Uh, we, can, we can force them to, to go to church. We can force them to listen to us when we, when we read the Bible. I had the opportunity to, to room with the, the son of the pastor of Billy Graham. He was the pastor at Montreat Presbyterian in, in Montreat, South Carolina. And I roomed with uh, the pastor's son for four years. Uh, Frank Thielman, his father was Calvin Thielman. And I remember going to, to their house one day. And, and, and Dorothy Thielman was fixing breakfast. And, and she fixed a really, really good breakfast. I could talk about what was there on that breakfast, but some of you might be hungry, so I'm not going to do it. And that breakfast was ready to eat. It was put on the table. It was steaming. It was hot. It was really, 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 um, I, was, I was looking forward to it. And then Calvin Thielman said, let's, let's have a devotional. And he proceeded to have about a 15-minute devotional and, and to pray. And by the time we got to the food, it, it, was, um, it was cold. It was still good, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. What's my point? My point is this. Number one, he was committed to the Lord. And he was going to make sure his children and, and his son's roommate in college heard God's word. And he was willing to do whatever it took. Now, I, I go by the golden rule, doing to others as you would have them do to you. I would probably go ahead and eat the meal and then have the devotion afterwards. But it was obvious that he was causing his children to hear God's word. Can we do the same? We certainly can. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about the importance of instructing our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a familiar portion of Scripture. I'm going to go ahead and, and read that portion of Scripture in just a second. But before I do, we can't force them, but we can influence them. And I think that, that when I talked to, when I was at, at Josh McDowell's speech, he talked about children going to jail if they didn't have a parental influence, a father's influence. 
He also said that most people, and this was about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, most people make their decisions by the age of 18. And I think that I heard several years later that it was down to 15. I would not be surprised if most people make their decision for Jesus Christ now by the age of 12 or 13 or so. It's interesting. Some people have the philosophy, well, when they're young, I am not going to influence them. I'm going to wait and let them make their decision when they become an adult. But if you're doing that, in all probability, you are making it where they're not going to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Because they have a lot of negative influences that are going to come their way. It needs to be countered by positive influence. It needs to be countered by God's word. It needs to be countered by prayer. Now, my, my dad traveled a lot. And, and quite often my mom would have devotions for us at night before we went to sleep. And she'd have the devotion and then she'd start praying. And we respected prayer. I mean, you're not supposed to interrupt somebody when they're praying, right? And she just kept on praying and praying and praying. And all the kids would fall asleep eventually. And she'd keep on praying. That's one way to get your kids to fall asleep. Just pray and pray and pray. God's word and prayer makes a significant difference in the lives of children. We need to do that early. We need to be sharing the good news of, of, of Jesus Christ with them. They can understand. They might not understand all the theological ramifications of atonement and sanctification and all that kind of stuff, but they can, they can listen to the gospel. In fact, we're supposed to come to Jesus like a child, are we not? Recognizing our sin, recognizing that we need to rely on Jesus Christ and trust him as our Savior and Lord. So we need to commit to make a difference in our lives, sharing with them the word of God and, and praying with them and helping them to come to church and making sure that we're not just sending them to church, we're going to church with them. There are a lot of different things that we can do. Joshua, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a portion of Scripture that talks about our influence on kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 1. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This was talking about the influence that fathers, that parents have on their children. And there are five different things, I think, that come to mind, several of them from this portion of Scripture. The first one is example. When we as fathers, when we as parents set an example, that makes all the difference in the world. When they see us doing it instead of just talking about it, that is extremely helpful. Um, like I said before, uh, just, just because we set the example doesn't mean they're going to follow the example. But a lot of times, uh, they, they might not follow it right then, but later on, they will follow the example. 
uh, in verses 1 and 2, it talks about the, the, the individual that's being addressed. Studying God's word and obeying God's word. And that's exactly what we need to do. Rightly divide the word of truth and make sure we do what God's word has to say. Setting an example for our children. I remember hearing the story of a, of a, a parent who um, got word that their child was, was killed in a, an accident and there was drinking involved. And, and, of course, as Sharon shared what she did this morning, I'm sure glad that she is able to be here and, and lead us in music. This, I asked her about three times, and she finally said yes, and I'm sure grateful that she did. But they lost their child, and I, I know of others that have lost their child. But this father basically said, who in the world sold them alcohol? How did they get alcohol? I'm, and he was extremely upset and decided he was going to calm himself. And you know what he did, don't you? He went to his bar and he was going to get the alcohol, but there was a note there from his child saying, I, I knew that you would not mind if I borrowed this. Sometimes we, we don't set the example. Uh, sometimes we do things and then we say to our child, don't do as I do, do as I say. It's important for us to set the right example. The second thing is instruction. In, in verses 5 and 6 and following, it says that you need to make sure these things are in your heart. And then it says, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How many of you have verses in your house that are just different places? I'm sure many of you do. When I was growing up, we had various verses uh, we have some verses uh, in different places uh, at our house as well. Just a reminder of God's word on a regular basis. Instruction is very important. You don't have to take 15 minutes before breakfast, uh, but you do need to spend time talking with your children about biblical things. Number three is discipline. Spanking your children. Uh, we live in an age in which spanking your children is out of vogue. It's not politically correct. In fact, unfortunately... Uh, if you spank your kids in public, you might be turned in and, and uh, DSS might give you uh, a visit. But God's word is clear. If you, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. God's word is clear that we need to discipline. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, if you don't discipline your child, then, then you're really not treating them as, as your son. They're, you're treating them as illegitimate sons instead of really your son. Because if you love someone... You're going to discipline them. doesn't mean you beat them. And, and sometimes you, you learn things later on. I think I've told you this before. When my children became teenagers, they came up to me and said, Dad, did you know that when you spanked us, it really didn't hurt? I thought, I mean, I would normally spank with my belt. And all I had to do was put my hands on my belt. My kids, they would, they would start behaving very, very quickly. Uh, but I didn't realize it didn't hurt. But I think the issue is this. They recognized that it was important to me that not only I obey God in his word, but they obey God in his word. And they wanted to please me and they wanted to please God. Uh, does that always happen? No, it doesn't. And, and, and when you think about it, sometimes my kids didn't, they, they obeyed the letter of the law, but didn't necessarily obey the spirit of the law. Uh, Rebecca, uh, she, she is um, watching right now. Hi, Rebecca. 
She's doing the streaming. She's in my office making sure that people out there can hear the streaming. But I know that one time, it was nap time, and I told my kids, I want you to put your head in the pillow. I, I don't want you to take your heads off the pillow. Do you understand? They said, yes, sir. And uh, I found out later on that they were walking around the house with their head on their pillow <laughs> doing what they wanted to do. You can obey the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. But the reality is that we need to discipline our children. And we need to spank them, not beat them, but instead we need to let them know how important it is. Now, I understand that some people have circumstances where it's very difficult to do that. But I really believe that as a general rule, that corporal punishment, that discipline is important. And if you want to talk about that sometime, feel free to give me a call. There are two more things. Number one, example. Number two, instruction. Number three, discipline. Number four is love. When, when children feel loved by us, it makes all the difference in the world. When, when they know that we love them, then they know that we are seeking what is best for them. Because isn't that what love does? Is seek what is best for the person. And a lot of times they'll be responsive if that's the case. But like I said, sometimes they're not responsive. Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What, how about when they leave your house? Uh, can, can you make them serve the Lord when they leave your house? Maybe when they're in the house, you could say, if you want to eat, you need to go to church or, or something of that nature. But once, once they leave the house, you can't do that. But one thing you can always do is pray. Pray that God will work in their hearts and pray that God will work in their lives. If we want to be an influence on our children, our grandchildren, and so on, then we need to set the example. We need to give instruction. We need to, to exercise appropriate discipline. We need to love our children, grandchildren, and so on. And we need to pray for them on a regular basis. You know, as, as I think about being an influence on children and so on, the reality is they're going to pick up a lot of what you do. The way that you live your life, they will probably say, I'll never be like my dad but eventually they're going to probably be like their dad. I imagine Gray probably heard his dad share dad jokes and probably said something like, I'll never do anything like that. And as you can tell, he's probably becoming more like his dad. He told me to share the joke, but I don't have a beard. It'd be hard to share that joke. So that's why I had him come up and to do that. But the reality is we can be a positive influence on our children, on our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. But what we need to do is we need to consider what God has done. He's blessed us abundantly. We need to choose to serve him ourselves. And then we need to count the cost because it's not easy to serve God. It is a challenge. We are going to be considered to be different if we are serving God. And then we need to commit to influence, to make a positive difference in the lives of our children, grandchildren, and so on. As, as, as I think about the past, my parents had a big impact on me. Uh, my, my grandfather died when I was five, so I don't remember as much from him. But I do remember Sunday school teachers. Sunday school teachers that taught me to memorize scripture. I'm sure glad they did. Sunday school teachers who would take me down to Santee and take us out in a boat, take us camping on an island, things of that nature. Sunday school teachers who spent time with me and with the other guys, makes all the difference in the world. We might not have a child here in town that we can influence. 
But there are people around us that we can influence. And just like Joshua, we can make a significant difference in the lives of others. But we need to make sure it's real in our lives that we are choosing to serve God. We're counting the cost and that we are being what God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do in order to make an impact on others. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the example of Joshua, for the way that he followed you. He saw you work and determined that he was going to follow you and be an influence for good. Thank you for the difference he made. And I thank you for the difference that my dad made and so many of us could say the same thing. Just pray, Lord, that we will make sure that we are influential as well in a positive way, that we're making a difference in the lives of those with whom we come into contact. And we just pray, Lord, that you will help us to to seek to, to lead in a way which is pleasing to you, which is in accord with Scripture, and that we recognize that we can't do it in our own strength, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. All of this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.